I'm short on time, so I'm going to talk really fast, okay? So you need to pay attention to me. And as soon as I co- No, I won't do that. If I start talking fast, just raise your hand. Um, before I say anything, I want to say this. We're having a huge women's event tonight, and we need... Uh, we're going to set up tables in here, clear out chairs in here. So if you're able, uh, just after ministry, and you can stay and help do that, um, that would be very, very much appreciated. And you will get rewarded um, financially, blessed in every way while you're on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so we're in the middle of this series on identity. We're going to do this week. We're going to do next week. This is probably a talk. When I was putting this talk together, I was like, man, this probably should have been the first talk, because it defines what identity is and how we try to find it in the wrong places and then how we find it in the right places. Now, uh, what's going to be, um, this is what God wants to do today. And, and what's, this is amazing. So we've been talking about becoming a son, you know, knowing that we're beloved, knowing that we've been made righteous by Christ, knowing that we're a child of God, all of these things, right? That's what my talk's about. And we didn't know like, like the worship team had this theme, you saw it, how he loves us, all of these things, all these, like he, he, he desires mercy over judgment, he's merciful over judgment. That's all the talk is about. So the worship, the word that we had, uh, just for, that Brian was teaching from, all of these things have to do with God's desire this morning, which is to, um, i get this, which is for us to know that we're loved, for us to know that we're beloved. Rose, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. She's been laid up for a little while. I bet you're glad to get back in worship. We're glad to have you in worship. Um, I don't even know where I was. And so God's desire today is to call us into that reality that we are beloved sons. That is where our identity comes from. But the, the enemy is over here. The world is over here trying to pull us away from that. Okay, constantly trying to pull us away from that. And God's desire is for this morning, God's desire, and we've already been saying about this, is for you to not only know, but to experience being a beloved son. And we're going to work towards that. And I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to skip around probably. But I first want to just talk about what identity is. Identity is basically this. It's where you're identical in every area of your life. Okay, identical in every area of your life. So I am a father, I am a pastor, I am a friend, I am a husband, I am a, uh, you know, fisherman. Craig takes me fishing. He's my, I'm one of his, the pastors he takes care of. So I, I'm all these things, right? Now, but in all of those things, there needs to be a common reality, okay? And that is my identity, Okay, and my identity bleeds into those things. Those things don't define me. Those are roles. What defines me is who I am in those roles. It's identical. Okay, and the same is true. uh, Like the other thing is, is we can be in different circumstances and situations, right? So we can be in situations that we're successful. We can be in uh, situations that we fail. We can be in situations where people love us, where people hate us, large crowds, small crowds, all those situations. But in those situations. We, are, we have an identity. We have something that exists in all of those places that makes us and defines who we are. So in our roles, in these situations, we find our identity and who we are. Okay, now, the world, and when you don't, let me back up. When you don't do that, when you don't have an identity, you reach into all of those groups trying to find it. Because we're wired, we're wired as God's children, created in his image, to have identity, 
in him. And when we don't find it in him, we find it in these other places. And we go and we grab and we try to find it in these other places. The traditional view says this is how you find identity. And this is most common in a lot of other countries besides the West, where they say your identity comes from what you do. Okay, your identity comes from what our family does. And you're a part of our family. This is what you do. And if you don't do it, we shut you out, basically. Okay? And so, like, I'm a fowler, which is a bird catcher. So back in the day, my family was bird catchers. If I would have been born then, I would have been a bird catcher. Okay? My wife's family, her maiden name is a hunter. So she was a hunter, and her family were hunters, and she would have been a hunter back in the day. Or maybe a cleaner of the hunted things, right? So bird catchers, hunters, we would have eaten well back in the day because that was our place. Now, the modern, modern uh, theories and, and ideas about, about identity come from, and there's some of that, but they look at that and go, that's oppressive. How, how can you make someone do that? That's oppressive. That's slavery. I can't believe that. And so they rebelled. We rebelled in the modern Western culture, and we said, no, identity comes from being an individual, from pursuing your dreams, just going after it. Right? And so what are your passions? What are your dreams? What do you feel? Fly and be free and go, go, go. Accomplish those things, and that is your identity. Okay? Now there's an author that kind of brings these two things together. And um, in his book, he, uh, it's a very famous book. One of his second points is begin with the end in mind. And he says this. I'm going to read this. He says, it's. I'm going to just start reading. He says, it's about connecting again with your own uniqueness, individuality, and then defining the personal, moral, and ethical guidelines within which you can most happily express and fulfill yourself. You develop a personal mission statement. It focuses on what you want to be and do. You hear that? It's all about you, what you want, what you want to do. This is who you are. This is your mission. This is who I am, okay? It is your plan for success. Now listen to this. It reaffirms who you are, puts your goals in focus, and moves your ideas into the real world. Your mission statement, listen, makes you the leader of your own life. You create your own destiny and secure the future you envision. That is to the core modern This is where you find out who you are. And he talks about a personal center. And the personal center is like your identity. It's where everything flows out from. And he said you can be love relationship centered. You can be, you know, work centered. You can be, you know, um, I've written down. You can be uh, family children centered. You can be work and advancement centered. Money possession centered. Pleasure, fun, comfort centered. That's what I am. Approval and relationship center, I'm that too. I'm like all these, maybe. I don't know. But out of these, out of these things, whatever one you are, it affects every area of your life. And as I say these things, you can probably think, well, man, this is where I lean. This is what my personal center is. And this affects, if it's work center, for example, it will affect how much time you spend with your family. It will affect how you see people that you work with. And what their goals are based on what your goals are. And how you're going to use them to accomplish your goals and achieve what you want to achieve. Okay? And so it affects every area of your life. 
Now listen to this. And so that's how you kind of think about what's my personal center. Like what do I lean to? You can also think it in the negative way, the opposite side, okay? What is it that if I didn't have it, I would die? That's the negative side, the shadow side of, of this. So what is it that if you didn't have it, you feel like your life would be over? That you just must have this, and if you don't, you're in big trouble, Okay, so think about that for a second. What is it? Your kids? Maybe? Your house? Your spouse? That little mouse? That was a rhyme. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so. Oh, man. Okay. I'm not going to give more. Okay, so basically, like, if you're child centered, right? So, like, and your kids are the most important thing for you, and, you know, they get the flu, and then you never knew what's going to happen to them, right? You know, and so you, like, pour your life into them. You give them everything you want. You throw birthday parties in excess of $35,000, have carnivals and fireworks, that's a true story, and just craziness, all in an effort to please your kids, to make your kids, and you start to live through them. Now... That's going to jack them up. That is going to mess them up because they're going to live to resent you. And their identity, you're going to rob them of their identity. And again, they're created for identity. They're created to become who God's created them to be. They're created for a uniqueness. And when you do that, you rob them of that. Okay, so that's like how things can work out. And I gave you another example. If you, you, know, if you have a spouse, if you feel like, man, if I get married, this is the most important thing to me. It's amazing. I can't wait to get married. Okay, so what do you do in the relationship? You try to control them. You manipulate them to meet your needs. You worry about whether they're going to leave you or not. And so you become the center of the relationship, which spins you, and you can offer them nothing. You can offer them nothing because you're so worried and fearful about them leaving or not loving. And so what happens? The exact thing you don't want to happen. You have a bad marriage. And that's how our identity can work itself out whenever we find it from the world. And some of us here, this is a goodie, okay? So some of us are thinking, well, my identity is in Christ. Okay, my identity is my religion. My identity is being spiritual. I feed the, you know, I feed the poor. I, you know, go and hang out with the sick. I spend time in my Bible. I, you know, I soak. I do prayer ministry. I do all these things, right? That's, 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 that's not right. No, that's not right. That's not right. Because you're doing just like you do in the world, trying to find your identity and doing. If I do these things, if I do these things, then God will love me. If I do these things, then I'll have value. If I do these things, people will approve. If I do these things, and the list can go on and on. And so we can be doing spiritual things and we can be doing the worldly things, all of which we're grasping for, trying to control our life. And now, again, Jesus wants us to find our identity in him. And the way Satan attacks us is he says this. He says, you know, he says, you know, you're messed up. You messed up today. And because you messed up, you know, I'm not sure that God really loves you. 
You know, you know, you, you went and you were doing good, you're doing well, and then you slipped in that addictive behavior, and now God probably feels differently about you. Or you look around and, man, there's other people serving the poor, more of the poor than you are, and gosh, you're just not, you're not what God, you know, you're not really going for it right there. You, or you don't give as much as other people, and you, you're not tithing like you know that you should. You're spending on yourself, and, you know, God sees that. He sees that, and, you know, he doesn't like it. He does not like it. And so you start to fear. You start to operate out of fear. And questioning whether God loves you and worrying about what he thinks about you. And so what do you do? You start doing again. You start trying to show him, I am worthy. I am worth it. My value is in doing these things for you. Does that make sense? But that's not good, right? That's just not good. Because you'll never be able to do it. It's the opposite of the gospel. And we're going to look at that. But when he makes us fearful, one of the things that he makes us believe is that if we have this brokenness happening in our life, that everything that we're doing in Christ, that we're experiencing in Christ, that we're experiencing as his beloved, that we're experiencing, that is real in our relationship with him, that this, the enemy says, oh, this disqualifies you. It makes this no, no. It it, it makes it null and void. But what Jesus says, the gospel is no. These two things can exist together. These two things will exist together. When you fall, it demonstrates you need a savior. When you make a mistake and you will, you need Jesus as your substitute to atone for that brokenness. But it doesn't take away from who you are in Christ if he is your personal center, if he is your identity. I did a funeral a few weeks ago, and I talked about this. This guy, he died of an overdose. Um, you know, it was very sad, and alone in a bathroom. And, uh, and whenever he was not on drugs, people described him as the most joyful person that they had ever known. Full of life, amazing dad, uh, knows Jesus, loves Jesus. And his whole life, he struggled with feeling less than, feeling like he's not a good dad, feeling like, well, Jesus might not, not really love me. But he isolated to the degree that he would only do drugs by himself. Only do drugs by himself because he felt so ashamed of who he was. And that's what the enemy wants us to believe. That's what the enemy tries to work into our heart so that we don't, we don't believe the truth, which is it's not about what I do It's about what Jesus has done. It's about being his beloved, being his son, being his daughter, and everything flowing from that. And that means when we make mistakes, it doesn't change our identity. It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change our value. I want to read a part of uh, Matthew where Jesus demonstrates this. It's a great picture of this. He says this in Matthew 3, 13 to 17. He says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and then Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up 
from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. That's epic. That's an epic verse. It's one of my favorite ones. You know why it is? Because he, God the Father is identifying Jesus as his son, as loved, as being pleased in him before he started his public ministry. Before he did anything, before he did anything, he says, this is who you are. You are my son. I love you. I am well pleased with you. It's not about what you're getting ready to do. It's about you belonging to me. And that is what enabled Jesus to be in all kinds of horrific circumstances and still be loving. Because he knew he was loved by the Father. That's what allowed Jesus to move and be with all kinds of people. Drunkards, Pharisees, tax collectors, you know, women in prostitution. And be consistent, be identical, loving everyone, caring for everyone, ministering to everyone. Why and how? Because he did not need their approval. He did not have to worry about their response because he knew the father's response. The father's response to him was, I love you, period. There's nothing you can do as my son to change that. You belong to me. I belong to you. We are father and son, one forever. I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing because we get called into that same relationship and we see how in this, whenever we look at the scripture also. It says that um, we have this funny kind of exchange between John the Baptist and Jesus. When Jesus comes to John, he says, baptize me. And then every, everyone there would have known that baptism was for the repentance of sins, which Jesus had none. And so, like, everyone there would have been, what the what? And John the Baptist is like, what the what? Right? And he's saying, basically, no, I need to be in your place. You need to baptize me. I'm the one who has sin. I'm the one who needs to repent. Right? I mean, that's crazy. And Jesus says, no, you need to follow through with this. You need to baptize me because I'm here as a substitute. John, I'm here to take your place. You're right. Not only am I going to go down in this water and repent for your sin, but I am going to show you that you can rise with me to life, that you can be blessed like I am blessed by the Father. He says, John, we're switching places right here. This is the beginning of the kingdom coming. This is the beginning of Jesus showing I am a servant. I am your substitute. I am not a teacher that you're, you're supposed to come and try to be like me. I don't want you to do, do, do. I don't want you to go heal and find your identity in there. I don't want you to go raise the dead and find your identity there. I don't want you to have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. I've done everything. John, I am substituting myself for you. So you can hear the Father say, you are my blessed son. John, you I am well pleased with. That is the invitation from Christ. That is how we find our identity in him. Not by trying to be like him and do like him, but by just being with him. Being with him. And out of being with him, love flows. You know that song we were just singing? This is the one that song I got. It's a great song. It, has, it says some powerful things. It talks about when I worry, I'm worried about all these things. He goes, I'm, and then he says this, unaware 
of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful are you are and how great your affections are for me. And so he's feeling this guilt. He's feeling this shame. And it says that it's eclipsed by Christ's glory in his life. It goes away when he understands and sees the beauty of who Jesus is reflecting. And the song goes on to say, we are his portion. We are his prize. We're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace was an ocean, we'd all be sinking. All of this an invitation, a demonstration that in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his pain, he offers grace. So much grace that we would be sinking in it, overwhelmed with it. It's more than we can ever imagine. And then he, there's a, uh, a great thing right here. This is the other line I'm going to read. It says, heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss, or sl- sloppy wet kiss is the, is the right, and we, that's what we're saying. And my heart turns violently inside my chest, and I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves me. When we become and understand that we're the beloved, this path, this path doesn't matter to us. This path we need healing for it. We need to be redeemed. But Christ says, I am redemption. I have redeemed this. I have forgiven you for this. But my love is so great for you. When we understand that we're beloved, the afflictions fade away. Our brokenness is no longer what defines us. Satan can no longer create fear in us because we know that we're loved the same way that the Father loves Jesus and is well pleased with us. And so are we going to mess up? Yeah, we're going to mess up. But it doesn't change our identity and who we are. It doesn't change how much the Father loves us. It doesn't change that we will be tempted by the devil, that we will be, he will come after us, and that we will struggle with possessions, and that we will struggle with work, and that we will struggle with sexuality, and we will struggle with addiction and, and, and sin, and I could go on and on. But when we understand that we're the beloved, when that is our personal center, that God loves me, that I'm his child, that we can walk into all of that brokenness and ask him to heal without fear. That's why we need to believe Jesus is our substitute. That's why we need to look to Jesus to come and to heal and to restore and be our personal center. Because anything else will leave us wanting. Because we are wired and we are designed by the Father to be grounded in his love and his love alone. Okay. And so like Jesus is getting baptized. And here's a word from the Father. A spoken word from the Father. And that word is what tells him or who he is, right? And so in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our temptation, we too need to be grounded in, our, in his word of who we are. Because if we are left to our own, we will believe the lies of the enemy. Okay? That's just the reality. We will fall back and struggle in our sin nature because we are made to be in community. And so there's three ways, there's more ways, but these are the three ways I'm going to talk about. That we hear his word. Okay, one way that we hear his word, his spoken word to us, that we are his beloved, that we are beautiful to him, that we matter more than anything, that we are his favorite. I know, you don't like that. That's okay. I'm his favorite. I don't know about you. I'm his favorite, okay? 
All right? And so, like, when we believe these things, we need to be reminded of them because the enemy is going to come against us, okay, and make us believe lies because it takes us out of the battle. It takes us out of this war. We won't use our authority. We won't use our power if we feel guilty and shame in those things. So he wants to take us out. And so we need to be reminded. One way that we're reminded is we come down for prayer ministry, right? And people speak truth over us. This is what I sense the Lord saying. Brian did it to the whole church. This is what I sense the Lord saying. Is there someone out here struggling with addiction and you're believing this lie and this is who God says you are, right? And so we hear words through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he'll speak to us in our dreams. Sometimes he'll speak to us directly in our quiet time with him. Sometimes he'll speak to us in worship. So, I mean, it goes on and on. There's lots of ways. But one of the ways that God speaks to us is like he spoke to Jesus. He speaks. He speaks to us. The second way is that we need to speak this truth to one another, that we are created for community. This is why we have city groups. This is why we have ministries that gather people that remind, where we remind each other of the truth. It's one of the most powerful things. Last week, we had, a, um, we had something that happened in the testimonies, a clip that I want to show real quick, and then we're going to wind up. And I, I do have, like, that's an amazing testimony. I just want to say, 10 years ago, I was a heroin addict, addicted to drugs and alcohol, suicidal. God can take what is broken and make everything brand new. You have no idea where your life is headed. I was the worst of the worst. And God can use you. He, he does. He makes everything. He restores everything. And I bless you with that. Man. That's awesome. Love it. Okay, so like, someone, I mean, someone comes up to me and goes, what other church in Jacksonville does stuff like that? Right? We do stuff like that because we need to do something like that. We have to do something like that because we forget who we are. And John's like looking at us and being like, this is who you are. This is not who you are. This is who I was, and that's not who I am now. That's not who I am now. This is who I am now, and that is what God's doing in your life. This is who you really are. And I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, it was crazy. Like, we've never had that happen. But that is God speaking through one of us, reminding someone else who is struggling, who is doubting, who is fighting for their identity to believe that they are in Christ in the midst of this struggle that they have. And someone, a brother, just says, this is who you are. We need that in our life. We need to be reminded. That's why we need to be in community. That's why we need to be in city groups. That's why we need to be connecting with each other. That's the second way. Third way is through his word, the Bible. I typed in identity, like as a word search, and a gajillion verses came up. A gajillion, okay? I want to do this. I have a few that I want to read to you. I want you to close your eyes and just listen to these verses. You are a new creation. You are his beloved. You are his image bearer. You are the image bearer of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to you? That we should be called, that you should be called a child of God, and so you are. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. You are for his own possession. You are his masterpiece, his workmanship, his piece of art that is beautiful. You have been redeemed. You are an adopted son 
or daughter. You are God's chosen one, holy and beloved. You are chosen and precious in the sight of God. You are a citizen, a saint, a member of the household of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's temple, and his spirit dwells in you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and wonderful are all of his works. You are hidden in Christ, in, with Christ and God. You have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Okay, you can open your eyes. So those are a few verses, a few verses that the Father is telling you today, this is who you really are. Would you come to me? Would you receive me as your substitution? Would you let me die for you so that you can rise with me and receive the blessing of my Father? You're my beloved. And with, with you, I am well pleased. Let's stand. All those verses will be on our website with the questions uh, for this talk for your city groups or if you want to read them personally.